Good morning, good afternoon, good evening. Welcome to Textroverts, the podcast exploring the how behind the who of people working in tech. My name is Martina Simon and I am your host. This podcast covers anything but the job. We introduce the guest, move on to the buzz wheel, a letter number randomizer that determines the questions I'll ask, and we close with sage advice about careers in the industry. Plug in. We're recording. Amy, over to you. Hi, I'm Amy Elliott. I am the Mouthy Marketer. I'm a copywriter and personal branding expert for Lightbulb Media, which is a digital agency in Manchester. Masterfully done. I know that you've honed that elevator pitch over time because it was too good. Just before we get into this, for the audience who I know have been listening since episode one, the numbers determine the question topic, of which there are 20 topics, and the letters between A and Z determine the question format. Amy, give me the first letter and number. I'll go for N17. Okay. N17, the topic is routine. And the question under the letter N is, were you early or late to work this morning? I don't think I can be either, truthfully. I work remotely. I kind of dictate (laughs) when I'm actually prepared to start working. And as long as the work's done, my boss is literally the most sound individual alive. Is it flexi hours that you define yourself or is it kind of a thing where as long as the job gets done, nobody really cares when you log in? Kind of both. I mean, you're living the dream, I feel. What would you prefer? Are you an early bird or do you prefer starting later in the day? I am an early bird in terms of energy, but I am a night owl in terms of focus. So I focus much better if I'm trying to do deep creative work on an evening. But in terms of wanting to get up, I'm definitely an early bird. and I like to get out and see what's going on in the world. What I want to Mm -hmm. go into is the question about these four-day work weeks then. So we're talking about kind of early and late, but what about with less time? Like, Do you work well under pressure if you only have four days out of five to get it all done? Oh, absolutely. I'm diagnosed ADHD and my motivation levels come from deadlines. So one of my favorite podcasters is a guy called Matt Morgan, and he's one of Russell Brand's really good mates. On mm-hmm. his podcast, he talks quite extensively about his own diagnosis of ADHD and how it impacts because he's a scriptwriter. And mm-hmm. he was saying stuff like that he'll know he has ample time to sort of get a script written. He'll mm-hmm. actively waste that time doing other stuff, drinking, whatever. And then he'll put stress on himself and leave too few hours to get it all done. Every yep. bloody month he's complaining that he's run out of time. Is that how it, the, <laughs> it is in the life of somebody with ADHD where you know how you'll feel when you have limited time but you keep going through it anyway that sounds so relatable like painfully (laughs) relatable the best things are made under pressure they're just like diamonds I mean that's so cliche but I love it (laughs) one of my favorite lines from a rap song is coal under pressure now what let make diamonds what was the path to discovering that this was something that you had this is going to be controversial I struggled through secondary school. I refused to do homework. I was a little bit more disruptive because I wanted to talk during class time. So there was constantly things coming up in my school report suggesting, Mm -hmm. you know, I did have ADHD, but it was never brought to my attention Mm. and it was never mentioned by teachers. I figured it out by TikTok. Hang on a minute. Was there an influencer that had ADHD that you related a lot with, I'm guessing? No, I was just going through TikTok as you do and I don't know how the algorithm does this Mm. but it brought me on to ADHD talk oh my Um, god there's like a sub talk yeah so ADHD talk started like flooding my phone 
and everything felt so relatable. Honestly, I kind of went through the seven stages of grief. I was like, <laughs> denial, anger, bargaining, all of that. I did it all. Oh my God. Were you ever scared or worried or upset? Or did you feel like, oh, okay, I get it now? A little bit of everything. It was yeah. so nice eventually to come to acceptance. Honestly, it was a journey kind of confronting the fact that I was perceiving life differently to everybody else and I'd never been aware. Yeah. Technology is amazing for that. There's so many things that we're a lot braver to kind of ask about online now. That's pretty awesome. Amy, another letter and number, please. Z1. Okie dokes. One is the topic of family. Describe a distinctive family trait that you carry. (laughs) ADHD. (laughs) Well, is that a family trait though? I'm professionally diagnosed. My dad is not, but I know it's come from him. Is there like stuff that you just see in his behavior? You're like, yeah, that's. (laughs) No, absolutely. Like I understand him at a Mm. level that none of the immediate family (laughs) You speak your own language. What sort of things? Just like some examples of that. Oh, the intense emotions, forgetfulness, Mm. almost self-doubt. Because I feel like there's a lot of self-doubt that comes with ADHD. Mm. Um, Just basically everything. Every symptom I've got, I can see in my dad. And just interestingly, because now that your folks know that you've been professionally diagnosed, have you tried to point them in that direction? It's really funny you mentioned that, actually, because a lot of my longstanding friends, Mm. I think that we've lasted so long because they're (laughs) also neurodiverse. Are people comfortable acknowledging that if you've had those chats? Like, oh, do you reckon you've got a bit of ADHD? Absolutely. Funnily enough, I have a close friend Mm. and their sister suspects their ADHD and autism. And... I think this friend has ADHD too. So she kind of came to that realisation completely separate of me because of her sister. Mm. But then I was like, well, actually, no, it makes sense as to why we get on. Do you think there's any element of you might see similar traits in other people because those are the traits that you have or that they are actually there? I think it's a spectrum. Neurodiversity tends to be. D&I, D-E-I is so important in this day and age. I love these chats. I don't think it's taboo at all. I enjoy speaking about it, especially Mm. because it's kind of shaped how I see the world. Mm. It's like a superpower, though, I would say. Everybody's unique in their own way. And so I feel like if you've got your thing about you, empower yourself, whatever that is. Do you know what I mean? Personally, I don't like neurodiversity being referred to as a superpower. Do call me out on this and tell me why. This is something that happens more broadly. So it's not Mm. at you. A lot of people are like, oh, well, ADHD is your superpower. And I'm like, I don't think you understand Technically, it's a disorder. Yes, it has its strengths, but please Mm. don't think I'm like, this is incredible. Yeah, completely Mm -hmm. being aware of that. I think we all need to be. I would love to bring us home, Amy, if you could please give me the final letter and number combo. D5. Five is the topic of art. The question under D is, did you go to see the Book of Mormon at the theatre when it was showing in London? I did not. I went to see Hamilton. I haven't seen Hamilton, but I've seen Book of Mormon. I feel like you would really enjoy Book of Mormon based on your personality. Have you heard about Book Mm -hmm. of Mormon? Do you know what it's about? Loosely, but I can't say I'm fully aware of what the plot is or even the characters. It's a very, very, very highly offensive parody. (laughs) Oh, on Yeah, on very taboo, very like, if you're one of those people that offends easily, do not watch it. About, not cultism, but it has like religious undertones. I mean, it's in the name and it's very funny. But Hamilton, I've seen all the hype, all the sort of advertising. Is it as good as everybody says it is? 
I think it's captivating when you're there. I don't think it's life changing. Are you a musicals type person? Yeah, I think it just has to be high quality. Otherwise it's Mm. cringy and I will just want to shove my head in the sand. Controversially, and I I don't even know if I should say this, I really loved Harry Potter, the books, the Mm. movies and stuff like that. When I went to see the theatre production, it didn't change my life. It was good. It was good enough. But like, I wouldn't rush back and see it again kind of thing. Yeah. I struggle with some of the stuff that is hyped massively by virtue of seeing the billboards everywhere. Everyone thinks it's amazing. Yeah, exactly. And I think the hype that that kind of grows, it makes it so you expect more and more. It's a self-fulfilling prophecy. Yeah, exactly. I'd have been more blown away potentially if I didn't think that I was going to walk away a changed woman. (laughs) If you had to give me a star rating for that production. Four out of five. That's generous. It was good. Yeah, yeah. I just, yeah, it didn't change my life. You're a straight shooter, Amy. Love it. I am. <laughs> I don't let any guests go without asking them for a little bit of advice. I call it sage advice. And it's really for people listening who want to get into the tech space. You're a copywriter. You seem to love what you do. So mm-hmm. would love any advice that you could give somebody listening who wants to mimic you or just get into tech generally. What pushed you along the way? I would heavily recommend an apprenticeship. I did not go to university. And looking back, I don't regret not going to university one bit. A lot of my Mm -hmm. peers on LinkedIn have been. They enjoyed the experience, but ultimately I don't think it put them any further ahead in their career. And I would recommend trying to do as much practical experience as you can manage very early on, because the only way you get better, in my opinion, is by doing. It's not by studying theory. Yeah. When you were at that juncture in your life, making the decision where mates might have been applying and stuff, What made you know that you'd made the right decision to kind of skip that part and go straight into seconding into work with an apprenticeship? That's a great question. I think I knew myself and I knew that text-based learning wasn't for me. And Mm -hmm. I do think that's part of my neurodiversity. It's the fact that I need to be absolutely enthralled by something in order Mm -hmm. to complete it. So I decided that I wanted to get practical experience and enter a workplace as quickly as possible because I knew that was going to increase my value as I started applying for positions later on compared to candidates who had never had a job before. Did you ever feel any intimidation among what the other CVs might be or even when you got into the job? Absolutely not. I'm very, very confident in who I am and the skill set that I've got. Mm. Um, And all my employers this far have recognised it and it's paid off really, really well for me. I love that. I do think that we've come from an era of you have to do things a certain way. Mm. Even Rishi Sunak, is he wants to now enforce people learning maths until they're 18. I understand it. He thinks that it's a clearer path to employment, but I don't know that maths is the skill that is the thing that's going to keep you employed. Sometimes it's about mm-hmm. innovation, ideation, creativity. So I love that we have a culture in this day and age of forging your own path. It's not all over if you didn't get a degree. Not dismissing people as though they aren't intelligent enough to have done that. Because I think the perception at the moment is, oh, you didn't go for the degree. Are you stupid? I love that as advice. Thank you so much, Amy. Thank you for having me. It's been fantastic. Amazing. And yeah, I can't wait to release this one. Well, we'll leave it there. Speak soon. Speak soon.